cool. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, um, verse 1 to 16. It's um, a well-known story um, about the, um, the wise men looking for um, baby Jesus and following the star. Um, so can I get someone to read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 16? Go for it, Hosea. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether Christ was born, or was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and, as, and ascertained from, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for, for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Thanks, um, Hosea. Excellent, excellent. Um, so I'm going to just preach a couple of verses um, from this from this chapter. I'm going to focus more from verse 1 to 12, but I think it's good for you to see the full story about Herod um, killing, going to kill the other children. This is like a big verse. A lot of times, I guess for people like me and Josh, there's a, school, there's a song called um, Bow Down and, um, and Worship Him. I guess every time, you, every time you read this, you can't not but help but think about that song. Um, Bow down and worship him. Worship him, oh worship him. But yeah, man. Um, so, but yeah, let's get into this. Verse one. So, what what we see um, in verse one is that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So, a key thing to mention is that Jesus has been born. We don't know whether it's um, weeks or months, but we can believe that he's um, still a baby. But this is after he's born, and this is in Bethlehem. So, for those of you who um, who understand different places within the Bible, Bethlehem. Um, it's placed in Judea. It's also seen as the birthplace of David. So it's quite a symbolic um, place. 
Um, and then talks about in the days of Herod the king. So for those who want to get into their history, um, you can find that there is a true person called Herod. Um, he's known as Herod the Great. Um, just to give you some background. So Herod the Great was a king that was appointed by the Roman state to be king of Judea, or you could say also to be king of the Jews. Um, he was known to be great because he was good when it, it was good when it came down to building temples, building theatres. He was also quite smart politically. Um, when you go and look at his background, you'd say he's quite a gangster in the way that he operated. He would do whatever it took to um, keep control and keep his power. Um, when you go and look at some historical elements, you find that he, he didn't feel no way to kill his own son. He didn't feel no way to, um, to kill um, one of his wives as well. So he's um, quite gangster when it comes down to doing what it takes to remain in power. Um, in terms of his like, origin, in terms of who he is, um, so when you look at his um, bloodline and his ways from, he's an Edomite. Um, and Edomite are those that originated from Esau. Um, in terms of Esau, <clears throat> not sure if you guys remember Esau is the brother of Jacob. He's the older brother of Jacob and he's the one that um, sold his birthright for stew or for pottage. And so you can see there's a relationship with, um, the, with the Jews, but uh, through Esau and Jacob. But remember Jews, if you're not part of the family, you're outside, you're a Gentile. And you're not seen as um, seen as pure, but Herod um, practiced Judaism um, as be- as best as he could. Now, just to give you a bit of background about um, about Herod, and in the scripture you see that behold, wise men. Um, I think I mentioned this last year, but you don't read three wise men or three kings. It says wise men. This is to let you guys know that. You can't say it's two, you can't say it's three, or you can't say it's four wise men. We just know there was a group of wise men that were seeking um, to worship um, Jesus. And they came from the East. Um, the East, normally thinking about regions such as Babylon and Syria. And just to once again give you guys some background around um, Bible um, geography, um, it, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a surprise for people in the East to be aware of Judaism and Jews, etc., because of the exile of Israel when they were taken captive by Babylon. Um, so there would they, they would be an awareness of the Jews and their race. And the fact that they're coming from the east is indicating that they've travelled some distance to get to Jerusalem. Yeah, so that's to give you guys some background. So now they're in Jerusalem and they're asking where they're asking for, you know, where's the king of the Jews? And so one thing to say, why, why Jerusalem? I mean, like, why, why would you be in Jerusalem? I guess Jerusalem is seen as the um, holy city of the Jews. Um, it's the city, it's known as the city of peace, and it's like the capital of Judah. So if you want to know where the king of the Jews is, people in Jerusalem should know, yeah? Because it's the, it's the capital, yeah? And so he's like saying, oh, where's the king of the Jews? Because we're looking at a star, because we saw a star when it, where, where, when it arose. One thing I want to bring out is people can start saying, well, if these guys are following a star, why can't we follow stars? And I think I just want to call that there's a difference between the Bible when it describes something versus when the Bible prescribes something. So just because you see David having concubines doesn't mean that we are prescribed to have concubines. It's the Bible is just describing in terms of what is happening. And I, we could definitely say that there's some 
that they're being led by the Lord, by the star. But this is not saying to us as Christians that we should be using stars to, um, to direct us in terms of where we should go. It uh, even talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, that we shouldn't worship um, things in the heavens, so such as suns, moon, and stars. So I just want to, um, I don't want people to read this scripture and think, oh, okay, man, let me can start looking at my star sign, and I mean, in Virgo and Capricorn, and use that to um, direct my life. That's not what this um, scripture is saying. It's just describing what is what happened. Hope that makes sense. And it's very clear in terms of what their objective is. I mean, they're following the star, for we saw a star when it arose and have come to worship him. That is their objective. I mean, they've got one thing in their mind, they're coming from afar, they're taking a journey, um, they're following a star with the objective to worship him. Who's the him? The king of the Jews. And when we say worship, what does that mean? Does that worship mean, hey, I, got to sing a, I want to sing a song unto him? When you start looking at the word worship, that's talking about uh, prostrating, kissing of the hand, showing an element of reverence, and showing someone that they are a higher rank than you. And so when we're saying they're coming to worship, they're coming to let, let it be known that this person, this baby, yeah, it's not, they're not calling him a prince. From the same from birth, he is king, yeah? So they're saying this baby is the king of the Jews and we've come here to show reverence, show that he is of a higher rank than ourselves. So in verse um, three, we see that when Herod, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why would you be troubled if you was King Herod? So I go back when I said that the Romans had appointed him to be king of Judea, a.k.a. king of the Jews. So, right, the wise men have come to say to the king of the Jews, we're coming to worship the king of the Jews. Do you, do you get it? So they're like, of course Herod's going to be like, ah, okay, but I'm, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of Judea. And you're telling me there's someone else who's the king of the Jews. That's why he's troubled. And then why is Jerusalem troubled? Well, if, I, if you remember his background, this guy doesn't feel no way to kill people that are in his way to, for him to keep his power. So he's troubled because I'm the king of the Jews, but you're telling me there's another king of the Jews. So there's a threat to his lordship, there's a threat to, his, um, to what, what he sees as a king. And the Jerusalem are troubled because if Herod kicks off, it's trouble for them just because of, just because of um, his behavior. Okay, so when we go into verse four, so he's like, okay, I'm troubled. So he assembled all the chief priests, that also they were the high priests as well, and the scribes, the scribes are those who understood the text and they were teachers of the text and the scripture. And he inquires of them, where is the Christ? Where is he going to be born? Christ being the anointed one, Christos, the anointed one. And they told him. So one thing is clear is that these guys know where Christ is going to be born. They are aware of the prophecies of Christ. They are aware that there was a Messiah. They are aware that there was an anointed one. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, where so is written by the prophet. And then they read the prophecy that comes from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. So what we see is that these scribes are clearly aware that, oh, yeah, 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 we know there's going to be an anointed one. Yeah, we know there's going to be a Messiah. We even know scripture so well that I can tell you where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, and they, and they get the information. But there's a difference in knowing and then being able to act on it. 
these guys were well equipped with the right information, but they weren't able to act on it. So you have these wise men who traveled from afar from the east looking for this king. And you got these guys, you got these scribes and high priests who are in Jerusalem, who are literally, um, they say, nine to eleven kilometers away from Bethlehem. So you could walk to Bethlehem in 30 minutes. So they're close. They're close to where the king is going to be born, but they're not where they're the ones who are not acting on it. And so you gotta think if someone comes to you wise, yeah, saying, Oh, I'm coming here to see, look for the king of the Jews. And you are aware there's a prophecy for the king of the Jews. You're aware there's a prophecy of a Christ to come. And you see these guys have a hunger. So they're, they're on their way to go there. They're traveling from afar. Wouldn't you think, hey, you know what? Even though, it's, even though they might be wrong, but it might be worth me taking a five minute walk down the road just to see wherever there is, wherever he is the king. But these guys, they had the knowledge, they had the information, but they had no urgency to apply um, what they knew so <clears throat> but yeah they, they didn't go so we read um, so they told him Bethlehem Judah so we read by the prophets and you are Bethlehem in the land of Judah and are by no means least among the rulers of Judah that's the prophecy that came from um, Micah verse 5 verse 2 and from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel so verse 7 then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently, diligently for the child. But when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we all know that he's lying. And I guess the question is a lot of times is there's people who say they're going to come and worship him, but are they truly going to worship him? What is their real agenda? What is their real motive to come and to come and say they're going to worship him? So after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. One thing I want to say is that the star is a signpost to where the king is, or to where where Jesus is. What you don't see, they were joyful with the star, which is good, but they they didn't worship the star. And I think a lot of times what you see is that we get caught up in signs that point to Jesus. We get caught up in, you know, people, whether, like even if you get a, like, a word of knowledge, etc., you can get so caught up in the sign that's pointing us to him, you end up worshipping the sign when we should just be joyful of the sign. So in terms of when things are pointing to Jesus, that's what that's, I mean, that we should be like joyful because of that. But the, the true thing we're trying to worship is Jesus. Not, not the sign, not the thing that's pointing to him. Because you get, you find a lot of people saying, hey, like, um, like you almost start worshipping prophetic words. Do you know what I mean? That that becomes their thing. Like, oh, my God, I got another prophetic word. I mean, like, it's like, and it's like, it's good to get excited, yeah? I'm not saying you shouldn't get excited. We shouldn't be joyful because these guys were joyful. I'm just saying that we should be, it's important for us to know that it's the sign to something. It's almost like me saying, um, let's say I was driving, let's say I was driving to Margate, and then there was a sign saying Margate is 10 kilometers. And I parked the car. I said, hey kids, come out. Look at the sign, guys. Look at the sign, look at the sign. We're 10 kilometers away from Margate and Brighton. Look, look, guys, look, look, look. Come on. 
Come on, guys, let's jump, let's jump. Be joyful, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. Let's worship right now, guys. Worship this sign right now because we're 10 kilometers away from Brian and Margate. It's just a directional signpost to the destination in terms of where we need to get to. Like, we should be joyful because it's pointing us to our destination. But let's not worship the sign that takes the destination. I mean, like, don't, it's like, it's, um, whenever me and Josh preach or share a word, have that, be excited, be joyful, but don't worship us. We're just pointing towards Jesus. And I mean, we're like, hey, it's him. We're pointing, we're pointing towards him. So that is um, just one thing that I want to, to, um, to call out. Follow the sign, be excited with the sign, but just don't worship the signs. Verse 11 And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening the treasure, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And what I like when you go through scripture and you look at um, worship, you will see when most times you see worship being done, you'll see that there's an element of bowing down. And when you bow down, you are literally saying to someone, you have authority over me. You, um, you are over me in some way. In my culture, um, we um, prostrate in terms of like, if you see an elder, it's like you um, bow down and you do a press up almost type, um, type thing. In that culture, they kind of show that, hey, you are an elder to me. You are somebody that has authority to me. So I'm, I'm, showing, I'm, I'm showing you that by bowing down. And this is what these guys do. Wise men come and they bow down and worship him. And they don't, they don't, they don't just, you know, bow down and worship They present gifts. Um, I'm not going to go through each one in that much detail, but gold, we understand gold being a precious metal. It's something that is pure. It needs to be extracted and refined and cleansed. And so when you look at um, things of royalty, when you look at um, palaces all around um, the world, you can see that gold is always symbolic of something precious, something rare, and the significance of um, of what, something that is well. Um, frankincense, for those of you who don't know, frankincense is an aromatic um, thing that is extracted from trees, um, normally found in North India and Arabia. So it's not something that you find everywhere, just to be clear. It's not something that, oh, let me go into my garden to find frankincense, or let me walk down to Bromley so I can find frankincense. This is not some that thing that's just like laying around. It's in particular places where you find frankincense, which once again equates to why it's rare and precious. And it's used in um, incense, and it's also used in perfumes. Um, for those who want to get a bit deeper into it, um, you can see that frankincense is used in the sanctuary of God. So for those taking notes, you can look at Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. And also frankincense is um, seen as being symbolic of prayer. Um, you can read Psalms 141, verse 2, to, um, to see that. Um, but I don't really want to get into the typology of, um, of, of, of these elements right now. Um, myrrh, um, when you look at it once again, it's another thing that is not all over the place. It's rare and precious. It's found in particular plants where you've got um, to draw it from the sap. And it's more of an um, antiseptic. So people use it to um, deal with bruises, use it to do like almost like a mouthwash to deal with cuts. Um, if you look at Esther, when she, um, in Esther, the book of Esther, there's a period of time where she was going to, she, she was beautifying herself and purifying herself 
prior to seeing the king. One of the things that she used was um, myrrh. You can read that in Esther chapter 2, verse 12. And um, Jesus, whilst on the cross, um, they tried to give him wine mingled with myrrh um, because, you know, he was hurt. And you can read that in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, those who want that reference. But with all these things, you, what you can see is that these are things that are rare, the things that, don't, that are not easy to come across, and these are things that were presented onto the king. But then why is worship so important? I mean, like, you hear, we hear this phrase, like, how oh, come this worship? You hear me just say, all right, now, guys, we're going to worship through song. And this gives a couple of like, scriptures that talk about worship and just try and um, join them all together for you guys. So the first scripture I want to read is Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. This is where we see Jesus being tempted to worship Satan. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Excellent, thank you. So here you're seeing there's a, there's a fight for worship, that even Jesus is being tempted to worship. And once again, as, you, as, you, as I mentioned previously, Satan is saying to Jesus, Bow down to me and worship. So once again, Show that he's saying, show that I am of a higher rank to you, and by you worshiping me, I will give you everything that you see. And Jesus' response is, uh-uh. There's only one person who we worship, and that is the Lord. And that's our response. There's only one person that we worship, there's only one person who we say is of a, of a higher rank to us, and that is our Lord Jesus. But it's important to see that there is a battle for worship, there is a, there is a battle for. Who do we say is Lord? Who do we say has value to us? Who do we say um, has a higher rank to us? Who do we say um, is our source? There is a battle for our worship. Um, John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. I can't remember who's got that. First Amara. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Excellent. Thanks, Amara. Yeah, one of the big boy scriptures about worship, and that he's seeking true worshippers. This is um from the woman of the world, those who in the background, but... I'm talking about worship. And he's seeking true worshippers, and those true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. So just to know that if you are born again Christian, you are new, a new creation through the spirit. So that's how we worship in spirit. And then our truth is we worship him in the true knowledge pertaining to who he is. And this is why it's important that we have a right theology of God, in that if you um, see the Lord as a tyrant or a bully, then you then you will worship him from a place of like like almost like fear, like, oh my days I I better worship him. If not, I'm gonna get punished by him, or I better worship him because like, I don't I don't want to get in trouble. But we we worship from a true perspective of him and that he is our father and that we are sons and that he is um the creator of everything. That's the place that we worship from him. 
but it's important that we worship worship him in a true position of who he is. It's important that we worship him correctly based on who he is. Um, can I get someone to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, please? Copy that to you, Gabriella. I beseech you, therefore, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. Excellent. So here's the scripture, another one on scripture saying that um, we should. Um, and if you read the previous verse, it talks about everything comes through God, basically. And so because everything comes through him and via him, so Jesus, sorry, that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it's, it's, it's the least that we can do. And what does it mean to give your whole body unto him? Now, I mean, like your whole bodily function as a sacrifice, as a form of worship unto him. And I know some of us was like, what does that mean? Am I meant to be like jumping for him? Am I meant to be skipping for him, doing exercise for him? Hebrews chapter 13 gives us insight in terms of what are some of the things that we do actively um, from our body as a form of worship. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 16. I think that's you, Avia. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Can you read it again, please, Avia? 15 to 16. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Excellent. Perfect. And so we see clearly there's two things that are mentioned. One is the fruit of your lips. And so when we sacrifice worshiping, is the fruit of our lips. And so we that's why you hear me and Josh say, let's worship him through song or worship him through our mouth in terms of things that we're going to say um, and that'll come out of our mouth in terms of you are the King of Kings, you are great Lord, and we worship you through our lips. And then you see later on, you see in verse 16, but you can also worship him through our deeds onto others. Um, a lot of times, I think during the um, the work theme um, that we did a couple of months ago, we said that our life and what we do is a form of worship. And so our deeds, in terms of how we bless others and help others, that's also a form of worship. I don't want anyone here thinking that worship is only listening to a, you know, a song. It's more than that. It's that what we do, I mean, what we do with our bodies, how we serve one another is worship. And what comes out of our mouth in terms of that be a song or whether it just be a, a shout of praise unto him for how great he is, that is worship. But all of this is an expression of worship or what's happening from the inside of us and that we are born again in his spirit and that we hold on to his truth and that um, I like what um, Josiah says and that it's about having a posture of worship in terms of where we have an attitude, a heart that is leaning towards him an attitude towards him because you can say Jesus is king but don't mean it in your heart 
Do you know what I mean? You can like shout and scream, you know what I mean? But your heart is far from him. And so it's about it's about being both for them, having a like being with him in spirit and truth and having a, an expression of it outwardly. So in summary, I guess, who are you today? If we go back to um, the story, you can see that there's Herod, who won the character in the story. He is a king in his life. He's, a, he's, 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 got, he's, got, he's a lord, um, and he's being put in power and authority by the Romans. But when he hears about Jesus, he sees him as a threat. He's hostile to him, and he actually wants to kill Jesus. So he sees him as a threat to those worshipping him. Question, do you see Jesus as a threat? Is he a threat to you? Is he a threat to your own lordship? Is he a threat to you being king of your own life? Or are you like the chief priests and the scribes? You know a lot of things. You know, you know, you know where he's going to be born. You know, you've got the facts and the figures. You can pinpoint and say, yeah, yeah. The Christ, the anointed one, Christos, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, literally five minutes down the road. Now, I mean, like he's, Jesus is close, but far. You can worship, you can worship and praise their words and be, be happy about their words that you know, but you're not able to praise the living word or worship the living word. And this, and as we always say, it's not about us being guys who are just hearers of the word, where we're well equipped about the word, but not being able to live it through. These guys knew where Jesus was going to be born. They knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. If it was me, I would have people in Bethlehem, standards, just there like profiling, waiting to see, boom, where Jesus is going to, where Jesus is going to be born. And this is like um, what a lot of people say in that, I hear this um, not being said. If Jesus was to come and just walk through our church or the churches right now, people wouldn't even recognize him. Now, I mean, or if the Holy is, I don't think people say, if the Holy Spirit was to leave the church right now, people would still carry on with the activity. Because it's like we're doing the stuff, you know what I mean? But it's like, you know where he's going to be born. You can pinpoint. You can pinpoint where he is. You know the scripture really well. But when Jesus actually comes, you're not ready to worship him. You're not ready to go the extra mile. You're not ready to go down. You're not ready to take a five-minute trip to see if the King of the Jews is is born. Or are you like a wise man, willing to travel from afar, willing to leave your place of comfort to go and seek Jesus? But when you and then when you find him. You don't just get excited that you're able to find him. You worship him and you present unto him gifts. So for us, that would be that we give of ourselves unto him. And then also you're, you also obey because King Herod told these wise men, come back and let me know where he is. But then they decided to ignore King Herod and follow the spirit and go a different way so they wouldn't need to speak to King Herod. So my question is, who are you today? Are you like King Herod? Caring about your own kingship? Are you a scribe where you know the word, but you're not willing to act on the word? 
where the word is close, but the living word is far? Or are you wise in that you're willing to find him, worship him, and give of yourself to him? <laughs>